Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host of this edition of Secure Talk. And today we have a guest from Microsoft. We have Andrea Fisher, who is a Windows 10 technical specialist. And Andrea is going to take us through and talk about some of the great features that are built into Windows 10. But first off, Andrea, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for asking. Good. Now, I read on your LinkedIn profile that you're down in Tampa, Florida. Is that where you're at now? I am. We're having the highest temperatures of September in the last 10 years, so it's like 97 degrees. <laughs> Gosh. It, <laughs> it seems like every time I talk to somebody from Microsoft, they're either in Florida or San Diego or someplace nice, and I'm always up here in Seattle. Actually, we have a beautiful day here today. But it is, I mean, I think it was like 45 degrees when, um, when I stepped outside this morning. It's supposed to get warmer, but um, I'm jealous. But anyway, so um, let's, um, let's jump in. You are a Windows 10 technical specialist, right? That's correct. What does that mean? So for I've been at Microsoft for seven and a half years now, and the majority of my time I've spent focusing on the Windows operating system, whether that's you know deployment with SCCM or MDT or the newly found Autopilot with the modern device management. Um, I deal with Windows 10 security, just sort of all facets that have to do with the Windows desktop operating system. Okay. And I, I've read some of your articles about Windows 10. You're clearly very excited about it. Um, Tell me, just at a very high level, what are some of the, the most exciting or most interesting features built into Windows 10? Well, I think when you're talking to any kind of enterprise customer as opposed to you know a home user, the most important thing is uh, security in Windows 10. Windows 10, we totally changed the way we're writing code to secure the operating system from that very first boot up, uh, added a ton of new built-in security features, Back in the days of Windows 7, we really um, didn't focus as much time. We really counted on a lot of third-party partners to secure Windows, and obviously we still count on those people. But since we are writing the operating system ourselves, we've really devoted ourselves to making Windows 10 the most secure operating system ever. If you're on the consumer side, lots of cool productivity features like inking, uh, nearby share, just a bunch of new features uh, for more productivity for end users as well. Well, let's, um, we'll jump into um, many, if not all of those, but let's, let's uh, start with the security side. Um, so you're saying that there's a lot more attention from, you know, embedding security from the ground up. So, you know, even in the code, you're, you're concerned about security, um, but also at the feature level. And Windows 10 has some really cool things like Windows Hello, Passport, Device Credential Guard, things like that. Can you kind of walk us through those? Um, because I, I hear them used um, on a regular basis, but sometimes I don't exactly understand how they're making uh, my device or um, my or, or Windows more secure. So w what about Windows Hello? How does that work? So, you know, passwords are an eternal problem we've had probably since the day they were invented, right? They're insecure, Absolutely. they're inconvenient, and believe it or not, they're probably one of the most expensive things that have the help desk, right? That's usually the number one help desk call is some kind of problem around passwords. 
-hmm. but they're also right they're um, easy you know they're easy to provision uh, you know we've been using them forever so we're all used to using them but with Windows Hello, it's part of Microsoft's goal to move us to a passwordless world, because if you um, don't have to deal with passwords, then no one can be stealing your password, right? Uh, Microsoft is making an end user promise that end users should never have to deal with passwords, passwords in their day-to-day -day life. And we're making enterprises a, a promise as well that user credentials shouldn't be cracked, breached, or phished. And the main way to do this is through some kind of biometrics, like with Windows Hello. Excellent. So um, at a practical level, how does it actually work? So a couple different ways. Uh, Windows Hello is, like we said, biometric authentication. A lot of older models, one of the struggles we've had is everyone thinks you need to have a brand new fancy camera like you have on a Surface Pro or a Surface Book. And that is true. If you're going to use the facial or retinal scanning, you do need one of those new infrared-like cameras that come on. You know, there's some fancy uh, Lenovo's, a bunch of different models out there, Dell's that have those cameras. But I have a six-year-old uh, Lenovo X1 Carbon that has a fingerprint reader, right, that works perfectly fine and integrates with Hello. So we do have the ability to use facial recognition, fingerprints. Uh, we also have the ability to just use a PIN as opposed to a password. And a lot of people will argue that a PIN is less safe than a password, right, because it's just numbers. But when we're talking about Hello itself, it's actually a, a, a method of two-factor authentication for us, right? Two-factor or multi-factor is something you have, something you know, something you are. And with most of the newer devices today, the PCs themselves have a TPM chip. And that is where we store um, isolated credentials, right? We have hardware-generated keys. Windows Hello is what we call an asymmetrical key pair. There's a private key and a public key, so that if you were sitting in Starbucks and someone was sniffing packets uh, over the Wi-Fi, there's no password for anyone to sniff because you don't have a password, right? You're using your fingerprint or your eyeball, right? Or even a pin. But I like to think of it as an, sort of like an ATM card, right? If you steal my ATM card and you don't know my pin, you can't get my money. If you know my pin, but you don't have my ATM card, you still can't get my money. Same way here. Um, you need to have the actual device because that's where the private key is stored on the TPM chip on the device. And you also need to have my biometrics or my pin. So you have to steal two things in order to be able to um, break that hello credential protection. That is pretty darn cool. Let me ask you, I mean, it, it, Passwords are such an important part of our current paradigm, right? Everybody thinks we have to have passwords and we have to change them all the time. And we have to have, you know, there's different standards for secure passwords. Um, do you fit, face any pushback from large organizations that say, well, no, I, we, we definitely need passwords. And we've got whole policies written around, you know, how to, you know, select a password and how often to change them, things like that. Or are companies saying, hey, this is pretty darn cool. Let's, uh, let's roll with it. I think it's probably about 50-50, Mark. I think uh, a lot of people are embracing the new methodology. And, you know, obviously today we're still not ready to get rid of passwords, but the, the less that we have to use them, the safer we are. But, you know, one of the things that we talk about in this passwordless world is 
the poor methodology of passwords. One of my favorite articles was in ZDNet a year or two ago, and it said, you know, most end users would sell their password for less than a thousand dollars. So, and again, not I think because they're bad people, but they don't understand what it means, right? They're like, well, I don't have anything interesting on my device, so who cares, right? I'll take a thousand dollars. They don't understand past the hash attacks, all those different security breaches. But, you know, what we find is the more complex you make the password, the harder it is for people to remember. So what do they do? They jot it on a sticky note and stick it under their keyboard. Or the more often we change the password, right, if it's going to change every three months, they do something like, you know, my mom has been the manager of a real estate office for I don't know how many years now, 30 years. And the day she started, she made her password was capital S, summer, and the year she was born. And every time they change it, she just increments the number by one, right? That's not a super secure password. Certainly easily guessable by some kind of, um, you know, dictionary attack, anything like that. So that's really the struggle is, um, if you can tell me you have great password hygiene, you're, no one in your environment has a password of capital P-A-S-S-W-R-D exclamation point, then I will concede the point to you. But I don't think I know anyone that actually has a really great password implementation in their corporate enterprise. That's that's a really good point. A lot of times, in theory, passwords seem like a great idea, but in practice, it just becomes... I mean, because we all have multiple passwords for different devices, apps, and they have different requirements, and we have to change them all the time. And, and then we need to store those passwords in a some type of secure environment, which requires another password <laughs> or some type of way to access it. It just becomes a bit overwhelming if you're um, if you're doing more than a few things uh, with your, your device or on, on the web. So it, it sounds like, you know, you have a really good, strong point there and in addition to that the technology has evolved right now so there are alternatives right so in in windows hello is is obviously one of those um tell us about passport so honestly uh, we've dropped the term passport right oh so it was it used to be windows hello which was on the consumer device and um, windows passport which was windows hello in the enterprise space we no longer differentiate between those two it's windows hello and windows hello for business Excellent. Well, I'm glad I asked that. Okay. And so I I hope you're not going to tell me you've dropped the following one, but uh, the device credential guard. My absolute favorite feature in Windows 10 Enterprise. If people are running Windows Pro, I am telling you um, it is worth the cost of Windows 10 Enterprise, as far as I'm concerned, just to run credential guard. So back when we introduced this, um, InfoWorld Magazine actually published an article that said Credential Guard by itself has the potential to wipe out past the hash attacks, right? That wasn't Microsoft marketing that came, you know, from InfoWorld Magazine. And as we know, right, past the hash is probably the number one exploit that's been used in big breaches, things like Sony and Target, right? Um, but Credential Guard takes advantage of some of the improvements in hardware that we've had, right? The ability to have virtualization extensions on devices. So with Credential Guard, or let's say back in pre-Windows 10 days, the way um, we'll say the stack would sit was applications sat on top of the Windows OS, which sat on top of the kernel, which sat on top of the device, right? Right. Um, And there's lots of boring things in kernels, like printer drivers and things like that. But one of the things that does sit in the kernel are your LSAS credentials. 
And if we had someone did some kind of clever driver injection to get in the kernel, once they were down in there, they owned your credentials. With Windows 10, we take advantage of the built-in hypervisor and we create a separate system container, uh, almost like a, we'll call it a sandbox, right? And so even if someone is smart enough to get down into the kernel, they will not find your LSAS or your derived credentials, right? So also your Kerberos ticket sits in there, your NTLM hash, right? So the ability to keep those in a virtualized bubble I always say it's like imagining the Ocean's Eleven team breaks into the bank vault and finds another bank vault inside. So that's really what we're saying here. Awesome. I love that analogy. Um, what, what, what kind of adoption rates are we seeing now with, uh, with Windows 10? So Windows 10, I think, is on over 17 billion devices worldwide. I will say that I am, I am disappointed that more of the security features have, have not been implemented in the enterprise. It's... Uh, Certainly lots of people are taking advantage of it, but if you look at the percentage numbers of people who could be benefiting from it, uh, we really don't see the adoption that we'd love to see. So what you're saying is, is that um, of the universe of users or enterprise um, customers that have adopted Windows 10, they haven't actually um, deployed the security features? No, I, I, I keep saying one of the biggest mistakes you can make is to treat a Windows 10 enterprise like a XP to 7 and um, upgrade, right? So trying right. To, to look at those upgrades separately, uh, because there is so much more in the Windows 10 operating system. So traditionally, or at least this is what I've seen, Mark, I'd love to hear your opinion, is normally there's not a Windows engineering team at a customer, right? When right. a new Windows version would come out, they would take two people off the server team and say, for the next six months, you are now a Windows desktop operating system expert, right? And they did, right, that what they did, they moved it from one iOS to the other as quickly as possible. Um, and that's what we're seeing a lot happen here is people are upgrading to 10, but not taking advantage of as many features as they could be. Oh, that's what I thought I said, but I probably didn't say it the <laughs> in a way that, that it made it clear. So, but yeah, I mean, I, we see the same thing with uh, Office 365, for example. Um, there's a, there are a lot of uh, security features baked into Office 365. Um, you know, customers are out there buying the licenses, paying for them, but they're not turning on some of these features that are, they've already paid for. And it's just part of it's a, a learning curve. Part of it's, you know, do they have the in-house uh, subject matter expert? Um, or sometimes they just need somebody to show them what, what's available. And we, we uh, one of the tools that we use a lot is um, the Office 365 Secure Score because all the recommendations that come back out of that just, just drive you to implementing some of the tools that are built into Office 365. So does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. I agree with you. Right. And, and, you know, I, I agree the same thing is, right, a lot of people don't have the time or they don't have the expertise. And that's where, you know, people like you come in. How are you, right, <laughs> for the Windows 10? So um, in addition to the, um, the Windows Hello and the Device Credential Guard, are there any other security features that you'd like to kind of uh, talk about? There's a few more that I think are really important. Uh, application control which used to be called Device Guard. You know, there's nothing more in the world we love than changing the name of a product after people have already learned what it is. Uh, but application control is the ability to only let trusted apps run. So kind of like, um, well, like kind of like your cell phone, right? Is that mm -hmm. I go to the store and I say what apps are going to be installed. Here with application control, it's it's based on the app locker 
technology, though I'd say it's app blocker on steroids if people are familiar with that. With application control, you know, maybe you're dealing with some kind of DOD contractor and they say, I want these 12 applications to run on me, my PC and nothing else. I don't want anyone going out to the internet and downloading Weatherbug or Wireshark or, you know, an alternate browser, whatever. But we have the ability to lock that down, right? So untrusted apps, file-based app executables like malware are completely unable to run, right? So that's a great new feature. I will say one of the things I like about Credential Guard that we talked about is it's pretty easy to deploy. You need the right kind of hardware and either a group policy, an Intune policy, something like that. Application control does take some work, right? We have to build a golden PC image uh, and put the applications on there and uh, export that out. So a little bit more work, but if that is something that a specific company has as a requirement, it's a great tool to do that. Excellent. Um, well, this is going to sound like a rookie question, uh, but so how does that work with some type of with with Intune or um, a uh, a cloud app security uh, technology? I, I mean, does one take precedence over the other? I, explain that to me. So application control is actually controlled either by Intune. So you create a custom OMA policy in Intune that lays down that policy on top of the machine, or it can come via group policy as well. So there's a policy that gets laid down on the machine, which is what prevents anything from happening. Okay, got you. Okay. Okay. And any other features that you want to talk about on the security side? And then we're going to get into simplicity and productivity. Okay. So probably the last one we should talk about is Exploit Guard, uh, which okay. I think was introduced in 1709. And people have always asked for years, does um, Windows have any kind of host intrusion protection? This is our entry into that HIPS space. So with Exploit Guard, we have a few features. One is called Controlled Folder Access, which prevents sensitive folders and processes from unauthorized access. So a controlled folder is like C, users, Andrea, and all those folders, right? Like docs, pictures, you know, downloads, all of those. So the idea behind that is we're gonna prevent any executable file. Um, if we deem that file to be malicious, we're not gonna let it write to those protected folders, right? The number one folder that malware tries to write to is the documents folder. So when we enable controlled folder access, great protection against any kind of uh, ransomware. We also, as part of the exploit guard feature is something called network protection, and that blocks outbound calls to suspicious sites. So this relies on the reputation service of the intelligent security graph, which is a big Microsoft buzzword, but the intelligent security graph is a giant host of information from different resources. And with a combination of cloud lookups and caching, we do reputation checks. Um, so we can tell if the outbound call is to a phishing site or to some kind of command and control server, we're gonna block that outbound traffic. So two small features out of Exploit Guard that can really help um, make the environment a safer place. I'm feeling pretty safe right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's awesome. Um, so again, to come back to the 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 um, the tagline I saw on your LinkedIn profile is that help helping customers embrace the most secure Windows ever. You've talked us through several of the features. What 
like statistics do you have or do you have you know that you can share with us to to point how much more secure um, Windows 10 is versus other operating systems? You know, that is, I don't know that I have any numbers that are specifically about that, Mark. I will say if we were comparing, you know, between Windows versions, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to comment on, you know, between other operating systems besides Windows. I mean, I would say an exponential difference between 7 and 10. I mean, 7 was as safe as we could make it at the time, but that was almost 10 years ago, you know, and in the wonderful world of IT, dinosaurs were still roaming the earth when that happened, right? <laughs> right. But with this idea of Windows as a service, right, which is that Windows comes out twice a year, really one of the main pushes for that, I know a lot of people have complained that that's too too much, and it, and it is fast, but one of the things we're trying to do is stay ahead of the attackers, right? We're constantly right. making patches to the kernel, constantly making changes to that operating system to continue to make it safer and safer. So um, you just said the updates come out twice a year, or are the updates on just on a on a regular basis or is it it's two major updates a year or are there just i mean is that it so we'll say we again with with my lovely microsoft terminology right let's talk about we have what we call feature updates and quality updates quality updates come out every month that's what we used to call patch tuesday right Quality updates come out every month. Sometimes they're fixing bugs. Sometimes, you know, they're adding new features, whatever, or, um, you know, maybe a small thing like uh, now you can use a black background in, in Outlook, right? That's the kind of thing that comes out on a, a, a quality update. Feature updates come out twice a year. And those are what we're talking about. Like, um, you know, Windows 18.09 literally is just coming out and we had 18.03 in the spring. So every year, and you know, in next spring, we'll have 19.03, right? And then we'll have 19.09 in the fall. So two significant releases that improve Windows with many, many features are called the feature updates. Gotcha, thank you for that. Okay, so um, let's jump tracks now and talk about the simplicity and productivity uh, tools and features that, that you are really excited about. There's a few fun ones, and I will say, if you look at them individually, you probably think, well, that's a little thing. That doesn't, that's, you know, that's not going to save me two hours of work a day, right? Mm -hmm. But there are lots of small little improvements that added up together, right, make a huge amount of time. So I don't even know if you've noticed this. This is in some of the past versions of Windows as well. The first time you open File Explorer and you open that up and you will see the last 20 files you worked on, mm -hmm. right? That's the immediate thing you see. Now that we may not remember, but that was not there in Windows 7, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, we've had all of the experts look at things like that. And I think it's 82% of the time you're looking for one of the last 20 files that you looked up right, that you right. were working on. Same thing on that integration with Outlook and Windows. If you go to attach a file now, right, it's very easy when I click attach file, it has the last 10 files that I work on. And I believe the number there is something like 97% of the time when you're trying to attach a file, it's one of the last 10 that you worked on. I personally love that feature. Um, I use a couple different devices. Uh, one of them is a non-Windows device. 
Uh, and it can be so frustrating trying to find a file, you know, which folder is it in? And I know it's there, but, you know, you're just going through. And it, it's just, a, like you said, it's, it's, it's a time sink. It's also, it's just frustrating. And it's so cool when, uh, when I'm using my Windows device and there's the file. Boom. <laughs> Job done. Cool. Uh, same thing. I, I use Cortana all the time. I think sometimes mm -hmm. people don't realize how powerful I don't know if we can call her she, how powerful she can be. Um, gender gender neutral. <laughs> what does she identify as? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the things at Microsoft, you never lack content. There are a hundred PowerPoint presentations about Windows that you can make use of. But mm -hmm. one of the things I love to be able to do is drop down in the Cortana window and I type in security and I type in PPTX, right, which is the extension for PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And it's going to show me every single file on my PC, or in this case, in my OneDrive, that has the word security in it. So instead of me having to scroll through my giant Windows 10 security folder that has literally, I would bet you, 80-something files in there, I just typed it in the window right now, and it popped up six PowerPoint presentations that are based around security. So again, just little time savers, but that make a really huge difference. Absolutely. And if you think about that enterprise wide, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there across four or 5,000 people, it's huge. What, um, what advice would you give for a company um, that is considering to, to upgrade or move to Windows 10? Uh, they, but you know, they don't know how to get started. I mean, would you, what do you do? Do you go in and, and, and do a demo? Do you say, hey, um, why don't we start with a small deployment? Or how do you, what advice would you give? I definitely think, you know, starting small is the way to go, right? Start out with a small pilot group. I do think one of the mistakes that we always make is we, I will just say as a former, you know, desktop engineer before I came to Microsoft, uh, the mistake we always make is doing it with our friends, right? So we pilot it with the IT guys, right? Right. Uh, who are all like us. Right. Probably running the same applications. So I think it's best to do, here at Microsoft, we call it the elite team. We have a group of people from across the enterprise who are willing to volunteer their time to help out with, you know, upgrade projects. So, you know, sort of making your own internal elite team. There's always somebody in every department that loves technology, right? Somebody who has the newest iPhone every time it comes out, somebody that has the biggest TV, right? So mm -hmm. you tap those people in marketing or PR or legal or accounting and ask them to join the team. And with Windows 10, one of the great things is we can do an upgrade and if for some reason things don't work, so all of a sudden the most important legal app doesn't work, right? We can just simply roll back to a previous version of Windows in a matter of minutes. So it's not like it used to be where you know we had this huge, it would take hours and hours to do the upgrade and if something bad happened, it would take us forever to revert Right. So we have that a lot easier. So I think number one, start small, but with a diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, another traditional thing that companies have done is I have to test every single application before I can even start rolling out a single Windows 10 device. Right. So if people are still on Windows 7, um, there's a great slide uh, that talked about at uh, uh, at this one company that we went to that was a large enterprise company, there were literally 
560 something people that had to say yes before they could roll out a single PC on Windows 10, right? There were the SEC exactly, right? Every single app owner, right? Every single one of those people. And how many people does it take to actually declare a nuclear war in the United States is six, right? So we got to have 560 something. So, so something's wrong with that picture. And how do you know that, by the way? <laughs> actually, it was whether this is true or not. I don't know if you remember the good old uh, movie War Games. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. According to War Games, it takes six. Well, I'm sure that that must be uh, totally accurate, <laughs> must be the right? Case that, but, exactly. Uh, but the key, what we're well, seeing is 97 plus percent of applications are working fine on Windows 10. I would recommend, and we recommend this honestly to every customer moving forward, is categorizing your apps into risky and no risk. Right? You may have a huge constituency of users that is running all no risk apps. Right? They're running Adobe Acrobat. They're running, you know. Office, right? All of those things that we know are going to succeed perfectly fine in a Windows upgrade, right? Um, and then we have risky apps, right? Some of those might be LOB apps, or you know, if you're working in a hospital, right? Things that are have to do with life-saving devices. But grouping apps and then grouping PCs based on those apps, right? And figuring out, you know, what I've got a thousand users that I can move forward with tomorrow, but I've got 500 that we really need to do some more application testing before I can roll them forward. So getting beyond that idea of every single PC needs to be on the same operating system all of the time, right? We're really not gonna see that anymore. That's that's sort of gonna be a thing of the past. That's some, I think some really good advice there and a good observation. Uh, let me ask you this. If if a company were to create its own quote-unquote elite group that was going to kind of run Windows 10 through its paces, my concern would be, going back to what we previously discussed, that they might, left to their own, they might not uncover all these great tools, security features um, that are kind of built in. How, how do you, um, in your role, how do you help companies when they're going through this kind of trial phase get their people to be fully taking it, taking full advantage of, of all the built-in features? Um, or if it's not you, what can they do on their own to make sure that they're really getting the, the, the full experience? As part of that, you know, treating a Windows 10 upgrade like we used to treat a, you know, XP to 7 upgrade, I really, one of the things we have to do is bring in partners from other teams, right? It just can't be the deployment team. So we really need to build a constituency of users. So security really has to be involved. If you have a separate security team or a separate patching team, the Active Directory team needs to be involved. I had one customer who, when they did the deployment, had set themselves up to be really successful with Credential Guard, right? They did all the things that they were supposed to do, but they could not get the AD team to actually create the group policy. Policy. So they actually got hit by ransomware. They had to re-image. I know it was over 200 machines that they would have been protected from if they had just created that group policy, right? So we need a team together and uh, a consensus among those teams of how they're going to best move forward. That's um, some some really good advice as well. Well, that's um, I really appreciate you know you taking us through and giving us a, a quick overview of Windows 10. Um, I'm even more excited about it. And I'm going to actually start um, using some of these features that I haven't been. Um, any, any last comments um, or thoughts in terms of, you know, the future roadmap or, you know, things that we should be looking out for? Well, I'll tell you, so, you know, Ignite is this week. There's some announcements. There have been announcements coming out all week of some of the goodies that are happening. 
Um, you know, looking into this idea of modern device management, I think is huge for people. Um, you know, for many years, we buy a device that has an operating system on it. We wipe that device off and lay down a whole new image on it. So the idea of maybe taking the device as it comes and adding and subtracting to it, as with Autopilot and Intune, other features like that. Um, but Windows 10 is just a whole new world. Um, Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection uh, is another part of that Windows 10 solution to really help with security. I mean, honestly, we could go on all day, but um, I would say just, you know, look at it, see where it fits in your environment, ask questions of people who um, can help you out. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Andrea. And I'm going to let you go enjoy that 90 degree weather. <laughs> I, I, actually, I was, I was reflecting on that because around here, we, I mean, 90 degrees, I'm like, yeah, it's nice. But for you, does, or do you have the opposite thing where it's like, oh, it's too hot to go outside? How, do, how is that for you? Uh, I will say, I can tell it's turning into fall because of the mornings when I get up to do my little jog, I can tell it's cooler, but by around noon, it's still just brutal. So <laughs> staying inside is always best. Andrea, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing information about Windows 10 with us. Um, hope to cross paths with you again sometime soon and um, wish you the best for the remainder of 2018. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me. You take care. Cheers. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.